and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about post-emerge soybean residual herbicides. So I realize that's a lot of qualifiers there. But the fact of the matter is, we get a lot of weeds out there, and we need more help, it seems like. So we'll talk about some of these herbicides. Now, if you're not a soybean producer, I would just say there are a lot of these same concepts, same chemistries. Uh, In some cases, it's the same active ingredient, even, that is used in whatever crop you may raise. So anyway, there are a lot of these things that absolutely will apply to other crops. But the reason why we're talking so much about residual is because if you go out and spray, that's great and and hopefully it can kill all the weeds. But the problem is tomorrow another weed could germinate. So for example, let's say it's Roundup or Liberty and they have zero residual at all. So you go out, you spray your Roundup, your Liberty, hopefully the weeds die, but literally tomorrow new weeds can emerge. It's not just the germination part. It's, I mean, even stuff that's below ground, about ready to germinate, if it is not above ground, you're not going to kill it with Roundup or Liberty or any of these other contact herbicides. And let's face it, we use a lot of contact herbicides today. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. It's great. I'm glad they are nice tools that we have in terms of weed control. But the problem is we have so many weeds now, it seems like, that have figured out, hey, we're using herbicides. Hey, we're using crop rotation. Uh, We're doing all these things. So basically what we've done is we've selected out for the toughest weeds on the planet, it seems like, in a lot of our crops. And with soybeans... It's especially difficult because we have so many Roundup-resistant broadleaves. Soybeans are a broadleaf crop, so it's infinitely more difficult to control a broadleaf in a broadleaf crop as opposed to a broadleaf in a grass crop, like let's say corn or wheat. If I've got a problem with whatever it is, water hemp or lamb's quarters or kochia, and I got corn or wheat, I got so many great answers. It's no big deal. I can get those under control. But not in soybeans. It's just much, much more difficult. And that's why we need the help of not just the contact killers, but the residual products as well. So uh, I'll just give you to start off the show today, and we're going to talk a bunch of things, but I'll give you the top two modes of action that I really like in terms of this residual activity spraying early post-emerge. Number one, group 15s. We talk about these in corn, we talk about group 15s just a little bit in wheat because of Zidua, and many other crops as well, but I really like the group 15s because they last quite a while in soil, they're not going to necessarily carry over to next year to hurt your next crop or anything like that for the most part, you shouldn't have any of those worries. Uh, fairly crop safe. I guess about the only thing I would say when you spray them early post, you'll probably bronze up the soybeans just a little bit. I mean, there are some emulsifiers in there, some adjuvants in there that can be a little harsh on the soybeans, but it's just cosmetic. I won't get too worried about it. With group 15s, like let's say it's Warrant, Outlook, Dual, any of those kind of products, they have no contact activity. None of the group 15s have any contact activity at all. It's only residual. So you want to get those on really early in the the growing season, whether it's pre or early post. So that way you have time to get some rain on them and you get that residual control you're looking for a little bit later. Okay. So that's mode of action one, group 15s. The second mode of action, it's the PPOs. 
and I would I would talk specifically in soybeans about Flexstar and Cadet, or at least those two active ingredients. And those two active ingredients are found in a lot of different combination products, for example. Uh, I like Warrant Ultra, which is a combination of Warrant Group 15 and Flexstar, a PPO. Or you've got Anthem Max, which I really like because it's a very low use rate. That is a combination of the active ingredient found in Zidua, Group 15, and Cadet PPO. So anyway, these PPOs have both burn down and residual. It's just you have to be a little bit careful with that Flexstar or Femesifen active ingredient because it can carry over into the next crop. So that's why rate is very, very important with Flexstar. Cadet, not as much. I don't worry about Cadet so much because, quite frankly, Cadet can be used in corn or soybeans. So if we're using it in soybeans, I have zero fears about rotating back to corn, which means I can use a higher rate if I want to. And I don't have the same concerns that I would have using a higher rate of Flexstar. So anyway, Group 15, PPO, those are the two I would talk first about when I'm thinking about early post-soybean residuals. But there are many others. We'll talk about those today. But first, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, uh, we get got a couple minutes here before our first break and and just enough time to dive into a couple of things here. First of all, I got a little feedback from Eric. We had talked about using herbicides in turf grass and that if you're just trying to get some grass established, that you should probably wait a little bit and give that grass some time to get going. Eric said, yep, definitely agree with you on that one. That's uh, spraying turf is kind of our business. We do use a product that has a very small amount of dicamba in it. And I know you guys say that dicamba is a bad deal and shouldn't be sprayed on lawns. The dose makes the poison when it's such a tiny, tiny amount. doesn't seem to be a, a big deal to us. The other thing that I was going to point out is is uh, we've been using quinclorac or drive, and that's pretty flexible with uses at seeding and then seven days after emergence. We've got mesotrione, tenacity, uh, or as, as you use in the crop ground, Callisto. That's also a nice one to use at seeding, but you got to wait four weeks or at least two mowings. One other one that you didn't talk about was Carfentrazone or Quicksilver or, or AIM in your crop ground. Very safe on seedlings, 7 to 14 days after emergence. It isn't the best on the, a lot of the big weeds, but pretty useful in getting things established. Hey, thanks, Eric. We really appreciate the feedback on that. Yeah, there's always some questions on lawns and, and what guys can do, and certainly there's some crossover of some of the things that we're doing in crop farming as well. So I was excited to hear those modes of action to know exactly uh, what what fits in that turf situation and what doesn't. And, you know, sometimes it plays out that your field's right along the edge of the grass too, where do I have to worry a lot about things drifting over? Obviously Roundup or Liberty you would, but but there's some other things, like you mentioned AIM there, that that is pretty safe. So that might, might be one that, that you think about a little bit more. I hadn't really thought about that particular active ingredient in a lawn situation. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're going to talk about post-emerge soybean residual herbicides on our show today. Stay tuned. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall, 
Learn more at caseih.com slash pharma. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio, we're talking about post-emerge soybean residual herbicides. And one of the reasons why we're we're getting our crop plan set for our farm. We're getting fields that we know we're going to have soybeans in. We got some fall herbicide out in some of the fields. Not all, but where we've got some weed issues where we could benefit getting something out there in the fall. We did that. Now we're kind of planning out what we're going to do in the spring. And when you think about residual control in soybeans, it's so important. And so we're talking about, all right, we do we do the three pre's down. Then we come back with something else to extend our residual and try and get good weed control through the rest of the season. So if you're out harvesting soybeans right now or you just got done harvesting soybeans, you kind of have an idea in your mind what weeds made it through. Where did we miss some things? And now's a great time to focus on, okay, how are we going to do it better next year while well, it's fresh on our minds? Let's head over to Indiana. i got a friend Nick Hustedy with us right now with FMC. Nick, how you doing? I'm not doing bad. How are you? Well, pretty good. All right. So we're going through our soybean fields, and for the most part, weed-free. We did pretty good. But you know what? There's a couple things that are sneaking through. And we were talking already today, Brian said one of the products that he's really liked and what he's seen has been Anthem Max post-emerge. We've been putting it on early with that first pass. What do you see? What would you recommend doing different? What have you learned with that product this year? Yeah, so, I mean, anytime we utilize those layered residual applications, we're targeting those species that have longer emergence intervals. So, really focused on, you know, water hemp in my area. You know, as you go further out, out west, you might see more kosher and then maybe a combination of the two and, and other weeds as well that could emerge later. So, you know, really what we have to focus on is, uh, you know, adding in, you know, a Group 15 product like Anthem Max to provide the layered residual in order to help us get the canopy weed free. Yeah, I I sure like that. And you know, you start it starts with that pre-program. Now, hopefully nobody listening today takes well, oh, Brian and Darren are just doing their residual post-emerge. 
uh-uh, no way. We are putting out three pre's, three modes of action pre-emerge. One of them is often authority on our farm, and we like the length of control on authority. Did that stand out for you, Nick, this year? Yeah, I mean, it sure did. Um, so our typical recommendation is going to be a combination of, uh, you know, at least two effective modes of action on the front end with an authority brand. And then we will recommend coming in with that Anthemax treatment at about V2, V3. So the goal is to make that late residual treatment before the next flush of weeds happen. So, you know, we're getting uh, a recharge, so to speak, of, of residual control. And really what we want to focus on is not allowing any of these weeds to make seed. So that's going to secure our future problem. And, you know, if we can get the canopy closure weed-free, that's going to take some of the pressure off of our herbicides as well and, and really keep our system more sustainable. All right, so we're putting out Anthem Max at V2, V3, so real early in the season. But a lot of growers that we talk to are saying, well, I want to mix either Enlist 1 or I want to mix uh, an Extendamax or an Ingenia or something like that, depending on which trait they're they're going out there to spray. What do you think about those combinations? We saw some issues with some of the mixing with the 240s and dicambas with especially the volunteer corn herbicides. Did we have any issue when we were mixing something like Anthem Max in? No, I mean, we've got a, a good bit of our customers that will run, you know, Anthemax across a lot of different sleeping trait systems. And, of course, an Enlist or, you know, ExtendFlex type system is pretty common. Um, you know, one thing that I think about with Anthemax is it does have a foliar PPO component. So you will get some leaf burn out of it, um, but it is bringing additional spectrum on, like, velvet leaf and lambs quarters and, and morning glory so we're, we're getting you know the added benefit of better foliar weed control but you will see some burn um you know the recovery process is is really quick typically we'll see it grow out in seven to ten days especially if we get some growing conditions but what i'm more concerned about in terms of potential crop response would be if we have any dew on the canopy you know that's going to allow the droplet to spread a little bit more and you get more coverage on the leaf which in turn, you know, you could see just a little bit more phyto, but again, they grow out of it pretty quick. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You you may have a little bit of phytotoxicity on the leaves, but if you've got that much better weed control and ultimately more yield, you're going to forget about that uh, pretty quick, no doubt about that. Talking with Nick Hustedy here with FMC over in Indiana. Nick, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Have a good day. You bet. You too. Let's head over to Penn State University. We've got Dwight Lingenfelter with us right now. Dwight, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Good to be with you again. All right. One of the things we're talking about today, post-emerge soybean residual herbicides, but when we look at supply issues this year, the tight supply products are Roundup and Liberty, two key components for our post-emerge broadleaf killing out in crops. But here we go. If we can do residual control, we can avoid seeing a lot of those weeds. Can we get by without Roundup or Liberty in a lot of these situations? Well, I think in some ways it's going to be, it depends. And I, and I think there, there's some situations where if, if we have some you know good residuals up front and then, and then come back with some overlapping residuals, I think that, you know, there, there's, there's a chance we could you know, get some pretty good control. Um, you know, and again, it's going to depend on, on what species that we're, we're primarily trying to target. 
Yeah, there's there. You're right. Everything that goes into agriculture, there's a lot of it depends. Because hey, you know, it depends on this. It depends on that. It depends on how quick we can get a crop canopy, and that's one of the things that that I think we're targeting. Brandon and I talk about that a lot. Our, our best weed control is often if we can get that crop canopy early, we can fight off a lot of these weeds. And I think that early pass post-emerge residual really plays into that, getting us clean up until we get crop canopy. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think that's that's going to be a, a challenge to, to a lot of our farmers and applicators to uh, make sure that they're out there you know, routinely scouting um, to make sure that they're they're doing timely applications. I think that's one of the biggest biggest frustrations that we, we deal with um, is, is, you know, here we are, you know, sometimes in the middle of August, you know, soybeans are tall and you have, you know, three or four foot tall, you know, palmer or, or mares or water hemp um, that are sticking above and they want to know how to control it. So I think just, just knowing what your field situation is and, and making sure you have timely applications and optimizing the herbicides that we're putting out there um, is, is definitely going to be critical to, you know, come next year. You know, the timeliness is what makes the difference. My dad always said that growing up, too. He said, just look at guys that use the exact same products. And for one farmer, it works great. For another, eh, he's not quite as fussy about getting out there exactly when the weeds are at two inches or something like that. And he has some misses. And I think about that with timeliness. How does fall residual herbicide play into that? Do you have a lot of guys in Pennsylvania that are giving that a try? You know, not as much as in the Midwest. You know, you know, we're we're really trying to stress more of a, a cover crops. Um, so so especially you know, some cereal rye is, is one of the big ones we, we really we really try to push here. Um, and, and in that, you know, we still have a few herbicide options. You know, some of the the oxen type herbicides we can use if we, we want to do some fall application. And unfortunately, you know, we have been doing some research uh, on on some residual products like Canopy EX and this Authority and things of that nature. Um, trying to get see if we can keep we can get those in into into that mixture as well, but we're still kind of on the on the front edge of of doing that type of research. But as far as actual fall burndowns, they're they're really not as common here. Um, but in in a year, Liz, we're approaching. I think you know far, probably fall burndowns are going to be probably less. You know, in terms of uh, making sure that we we uh, you know, save that herbicide for for spring burndown. In that regard, yeah, it's been a challenge for a lot of growers in Pennsylvania with the the fall rains and just trying to get some of these crops off, no doubt. But the cover crop thing that is another tool that that we should really mention today. It, it certainly can help choke out weeds if you can get a good cover crop established. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's that's why you know, a crop like a cereal rye, for example, does a does a phenomenal job. It's, it's I, I kind of consider it a workhorse of the of the cover crops because it uh, you can. You, you can plant it relatively late in the season and still get some pretty good growth on it, and then and then come spring, it really it really seems to to you know put on a lot of biomass um, early on, and then and then uh, it's just managing it you know after after the fact and right before planting there to make sure it's it's handled correctly, terminated properly, and then you can plant into it. And then some some of our our farmers around here, at least in the east, are trying to do more of the planting green where it's just still standing and they plant right into it. So there's yeah, it's going to be interesting variations to that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. As especially as guys get started to talk to other folks who have been doing it for a while, learn from them. So it goes smoother on your farm. Talking with Dwight Lingenfelter here with Penn state. Dwight, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us radio at agphd.com. Our topic is post-emerge soybean residual herbicides, and we're real happy to have Jeff Ellis with us right now with Syngenta down in Kansas. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So we're talking about these residual herbicides, and I got thinking, man, Kansas, you got a little bit longer growing season than we've got. You got some guys with double crop. You got some other issues that we don't have up in South Dakota. So what do you see out of these post-emerge residual choices you got? Yes, I mean, they're, they're pretty important. I mean, I think it starts with a residual pre-emerge and then you over, overlap it with a uh, residual post-emergence because we've got, 
you know, water hemp in the east. We've got um, Palmer amaranth in the central and western Kansas. And so it's important to, you know, not only put a post-residual, but also have that pre-residual up front as well. No doubt about it. There's no substitute for that pre and starting weed-free as long as you can. Can you get to canopy and still be weed-free? That's the real question. Yeah, I think you can. I, I think if you use full labeled rates and you're overlapping residuals and, you know, making sure that you're using, you know, not only overlapping the residuals, but make sure you're incorporating as many multiple sites of action as you can, you know, and think about, you know, sort of know what your population is resistant to. So if you're using effective mode of actions and you're, you know, you're doing the overlap in chemistry, you can most definitely get to uh, canopy. And, you know, really that depends on canopy. You know, if you're using narrow row soybeans, you're going to have a little bit better luck versus maybe 30-inch rows. But certainly either way, you can get to canopy. How about the double crop beans? Do you run into a big weed flush in those double crop beans, or is it easier because you're into the, the warmer part of the summer? Or I guess I'm kind of curious. We don't get that opportunity to do any double crop up here. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're going to have fewer weeds just based on the time of the year, but you're certainly going to have you know, plenty of weed pressure. It all dep- depends on rainfall as well. So, you know, if we get adequate rainfall during the uh, double crop season, yeah, we can we can face a lot of uh, a lot of the same weed problems we would if it was sort of a traditionally planted planted crop. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's fairly similar. You'll probably have a little less weed pressure, but nonetheless, you're still going to have quite a bit of resistant weeds to uh, to fight. All right, you've been working with the Group 15 mode of action for a long time, products like metallochlor, or I say active ingredients like metallochlor. How do we get the most out of that when we're using it post-emerge? Well, obviously you want to put it out. You want to make sure, you know, if you're putting it post-emerge, make sure if there are weeds up that you're taking out the weed, the existing weed. So, you know, put some type of effective post-product in there as well. Use full rates with the metallochlor. And uh, if you'll do that, sort of, you know, restarting everything by taking out what's there, putting a, uh, you know, a full rate of metolacor up from a residual standpoint, will get sort of the biggest bang for your buck with the, uh, with the metolacor duel. Then how about these PPOs? We've got a lot of guys that want to throw a PPO in there, and obviously we've been using them in conventional soybeans in the past. Uh, we do see some leaf response. Is that something we should be concerned about, or is that something we can manage around? Yeah, I think it's something we can manage around. A lot of times, and it really depends on which PPO active you're using, um, but for the most part, a lot of that's sort of cosmetic damage. There's not a lot of I don't think there's a lot of data out there that sort of suggests that you're getting some, you know, a, a significant impact on yield from that additional crop response. Um, but no, I, I think a lot of it is more cosmetic and 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 you know not necessarily leading to any sort of detrimental effect on the uh, on the soybeans or soybean yield. Yeah. They're, they're a resilient crop, so yeah, they sure are. And I know uh, Brian will say this a lot. He'll say. Well, you know, Darren, they need a little bit of stress. That's that's when they really yeah. yield. And more times than not, I'd have to say he's probably right on that one. Yeah, a lot of people in the countryside say that. You're not really, you know, you're not killing the weeds good unless you're burning the we- uh, soybeans as well. So it kind of goes hand in hand. 
Yeah, it sure does. And and you're right. There are a lot of tough weeds. Doesn't matter if it's first crop, double crop beans. There there's tough weeds out there. You're gonna be fighting them all season. So adding a post emerge residual herbicide to your program usually a pretty good bet. We're talking with Jeff Ellis with Syngenta down in Kansas. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Bet. Let's jump across the border here over into Arkansas. We've got our friend Matt Miles with us right now. How you doing, Matt? Doing good. How are y'all? Well, pretty good. We're talking about weed control here, and I'd have to say, going through our soybean fields at harvest, they look pretty good. Look pretty clean. Even the fields that caught a little bit of hail this year that opened up the canopy really didn't have that many weeds. So we were happy with our program this year. How about you? Weed control go good? Yeah, weed control went went good. And, you know, Nick, Dwight, and Jeff all had, you know, the, the exact same points I would have, you know, as far as overlapping those. You know, we... We've been dealing with Palmer for, I don't know, six, seven years. Uh, prior to that, it was in the north, you know, north of us. So I started being proactive and acting like I had the Palmer at that point, putting out more residuals. Uh, you know, that's we we can't we can't operate without the pre and the post residuals. If we do, we're we're just asking for trouble. And and on the on the PPO burn, uh, you know, I'm kind of like Brian. We like to stress these beans. We feel like it stacks the nodes and and puts them in a different, you know, more in a in a tougher frame of mind. So, you know, if I don't see a little bit of burn, I don't think I've done my job actually. <laughs> well, that's what Brandon would always say when he sprayed our lawn because it would just it, it looked tough, man. I, I really honestly think he just didn't want to have to mow it for a few weeks, so he'd always put a little extra burn on. But man, when you're talking about Palmer and uh, how quick that stuff grows, and how bad a problem it can be, it can be just so thick that I it, I just kind of do think you almost have to burn stuff to to get good control and and do the best you can for the crop. Yeah, like Jeff said, though, when you're going with it, timing's real important. So if we're get, if we're going into a ten or fifteen day, you know, dry period, we kind of <clears throat> we try to wait and time that application. Even if we have to add more sprayers or get a airplane or whatever, you know, timing to get that residual incorporated by rain uh, is is very important. You know, you can't let that palmer get over an inch, inch and a half tall. If you do, you're probably not going to kill it. You know, with a PPO when you go. So there's a lot of there's a lot of factors there that you've got to kind of consider when when doing it. But you down here, if we don't do it, we probably would lose our land to, to a farmer that did. I know that you do a lot of work to to get the high yields that you do. It's not easy, and you've got a lot of things that you need to get done. Maybe it's some more humix and fulvix. Maybe it's some foliar fertilizer. Do you think those two? help these post-emerge residual herbicides work better? And the reason that I ask that, I know a lot of times when we put out our pre-emerge corn herbicide, we'll put it out with liquid nitrogen, and I always feel like it works better when we've got some nitrogen in there with it. Yeah, it seems like, it, you know, it, it'll get it into the plant better, especially on a, on a, on a post-application. Uh, post uh, the, the acids, you know, seem to, you know, that will actually tend to, you know, decrease the burn. Uh, you know, and, and so if you don't like to look at that, you know, that, that, you know, off color plant and, you know, the more that you put in there, the, the better, better, it seems like it works for us, but, you know, we're still working with a lot of different products, trying to, trying to figure out some combinations that, that work together. But, but we always add some of that in there. Uh, you know, we always want some, something like that in there to help. 
we were talking earlier about how crop canopy really helps and getting an early crop canopy is great for a lot of things, but I worry about disease pressure then and that, that we're going to need more fungicide use or, or that we could potentially have an issue. Do you worry about that too? Uh, to, to some degree, you know, um, you know, we're on a 38 inch row wide row. So if we go with single row soybeans, we have a lot more trouble, uh, you know, closing the canopy than our normal twin row 38 inch production. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I think closing that canopy, if you got a good uh, fungicide and we apply those mandatory, we think we get a good yield boost out of those. So, you know, we're more concerned. We're going to put that fungicide out either way. So we don't get as concerned about, you know, having the canopy, you know, too too thick but now we are working with you know less than our population each year and it seems like we're we're retaining the same yield if not sometimes a little better by decreasing that population so which that allows the canopy to still be closed but yet get some air in there also yeah that low population is something we'll have to talk more about this winter matt thank you so much for being out we really appreciate it it's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com slash soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com slash soy. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, 
or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Oh man, we had some great guests on today's program talking about pre or I'm sorry, post-emerge soybean residual herbicides. And every one of them said, Well, hold on, hold on. Don't forget about the pre's. We're not forgetting about the pre's. You know us. We're the three pre-guys. We like to see at least three modes of action out there pre-emerge. That's our best weed control for the money in soybeans. But post-emerge, adding another residual certainly extends that window where we're not going to have to face weeds out there, and that's a really good thing. And it's good for our yields, good for resistance management, good for just everything all the way around. That's, uh, that's all I got on the soybean residual herbicides for right now. we got a bunch of questions here in the Ag PhD mailbag, so I'll dive back into some of those. All right. Uh, first of all, i got some soil samples here, and let me hand that over to Brian. He can start looking at that while I'm reading the questions. Uh, this one came in from Mitch. He said, can you please pass these tests on to Brian and Darren? This is typical of what our farm is here in Australia. We're furrow irrigating on 40-inch spacing to suit our cotton program. We don't have drain tile, but our paddocks are land-formed for a fall, normally 1 to 1,500, 1 to a foot every 1,500 or a foot every 800. In regards to my question, you read, uh, it appears I had forgotten to convert phosphorus to phosphate by the factor of 2.3. Just wonder if there's any recommendation you'd make towards helping us reach our goals. I know you've got limited information there to work with. Okay, just looking it over here real quickly. Um, it's not terrible, but one of the things that concerns me a little bit is when I go to cation exchange capacity and I see sodium at 2.2%. He just said he doesn't have drain tile. But, I mean, that's something where I see high sodium and I'm going, all right, I got to think about number one, drainage. Number two, irrigation water, if I'm if I'm getting too much sodium out that way. Or three, manure. Somehow, some way, we're getting either excess sodium put onto the field or we're not getting it out of the field. So when we have higher levels of sodium, usually we're trying to flush those out by getting a lot of sulfur out there. And I would say the amount of sulfur that's in this field is very, very low. So when, well, that's that's one of the first things. So I'm going to look at my drainage, number one. I'm going to look at number two. What's my wa- either water for irrigation like or, you know, am I putting somehow, some way I'm getting too much sodium out there. So I got to cut that back a little bit. It's not to a critical level now. It's just it's already starting to impact your yield. But if you let this keep going for another 10, 20 years, it's going to get really bad. So we got to get it addressed right away. Uh, but, yeah, the sulfur is just really low. So you got to get that up. Beyond that, uh, phosphorus looks, let's see. Uh, phosphorus looks pretty low. Potassium is actually fairly decent. It was 6% on the base saturation potassium number. So anyway, that th- those are probably the main quick things that I would say as I look over this. And it's a little bit challenging because I'm not used to seeing a soil analysis done with 
all the stuff that they've got on it in Australia. So I'm trying to sort through all this. Oh, and I guess the last thing is any crop that would need nitrogen. Of course, you'd have to add nitrogen. Your soil is really, really low on nitrogen, which is to be expected. pH, by the way, was around seven, so not too bad. All right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. I uh, got this one in from Ben over in Minnesota. He said, I'm currently signing up for the soils clinic that you're doing this winter. Very excited to participate and learn. I'm just wondering, is it a one-day course and you can pick either day or is it a two-day course and best to come for both days? It is January 12th and 13th. Yeah, it's actually a two-day deal. So it's not the same thing repeated each day. So what we're going to do day one is go through soil tests, how to read the soil test, everything else. And number two, we're going to quiz you. And we're going to um, put more of what we learned on day one into practice on day two. So it should be a lot of fun. And I would say we're going to have... I don't, I'm not exactly sure how many, but probably in the range of 20 to as many as 50 good soils agronomists there. So in other words, if you bring your soil tests, then if Darren and I don't have time to answer your questions during those two days, all these other soils agronomists will. We'll have, the, have all those people available during all of our breaks so you can get all your questions answered bring your soil tests it's going to be a great couple of days and i'm not sure if you're a wheat farmer ben but we do have a wheat clinic on january 11th so i know some of the folks that are traveling a little farther now granted we're just right across the border here from minnesota but uh, some farmers that are traveling a little further are going to catch the wheat clinic on the 11th and then stay for the soils clinics the 12th and the 13th but you can check that out on agphd.com at the events tab if you're listening today. Hey, thanks, Ben. Really appreciate that. All right. I uh, got some soil samples here from Mike. And you guys are just talking about ag lime. So here we go. So we limed our grape vineyard in the fall of 19 after harvest because of low pHs that we found on soil tests. Now, mostly we found a 5.5 to 6. Just wanted to bump up a little bit. We used one ton of lime that had 30% of it passing through a 100 mesh sieve, and it was 27% calcium with 91% purity. We struggled with sugar bricks this year and for, for a few different reasons, and pH most likely being one of the factors. We tested again this fall, and the pH just hasn't moved. With grapes having posts and trellises, we're unable to incorporate it with tillage under the vines. Just wondering, in the next few years, should we be using some Pell lime in a banded application right under the rows until we get this pH to change? If so, how much Pell lime per acre per year or for how many years? Okay, the challenge with lime is there are so many different, I'm going to call it grades, the fineness of the lime makes all the difference in the world. So that's what we're looking for all the time. Ideally, we've got to have a lime that is at least going to pass through a 60 mesh screen, and I'd like to have it pass through a 100 mesh. If it's passing through the 100, then I know I'm in great shape. It's going to break down fairly quickly. Usually, though, we will say lime could take three years to fully break down especially when we're talking about not incorporating. It just takes a little bit more time. So it's very possible that the lime you already put out is going to is going to end up working and, and raising your pH a little bit. So here's our fear, because this is what happened to us. We didn't wait the full three years. We just started putting lime on. We did exactly what you did. We tested right away again, again the next year, and we said, oh, still not good enough. Let's throw more on. And we did that for about three, four years. And all of a sudden, our pHs over time got way up there. We were into the sevens, and then that was hurting our yield. So 
if you want to put a little bit more lime out there, I don't have a real big issue with that. But I just wouldn't get very carried away. Since you said you only put one ton on, it doesn't concern me all that much. Here's the other reason why it doesn't concern me that much. You have pretty light soil. So usually things flush out of there fairly quickly. So, And by the way, this was an eight cation exchange capacity. So we would consider that fairly light. So anyway, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't hesitate if it was me to throw just a little bit more lime on. Just don't get real carried away. The other couple of things that I will say is... Your potassium levels, well, it looks like it's real good in terms of parts per million. You're at 5 or 6% base saturation K. And we know that with, with all, almost all crops, it, it takes a tremendous amount of potassium to have a good stock and good grain quality and everything else. It's no different with vineyards. So you could bump that just a little bit because potassium is leachable in that light of soil. The two other things that I want to mention here, sulfur. Your sulfur levels are pretty low. On one, I've got 12, I'm showing 12 parts, or sorry, 12 pounds per acre, and 12 pounds just isn't going to cut it. So that it needs to be bumped up. And then the last thing I would say is just make sure you're keeping those copper levels up. It looks pretty good right now, 27 and 26 pounds, but for grape production, you have to make sure you always have good copper. Otherwise, your grapes start to split. So you're, you're doing okay right now, but just pay attention to that every year as you go. All right. Thanks for the question. Had one from Jim in Ohio. He said he's planting a mixed grass hay field and is just wondering what are a couple of products he could look into, uh, depending on which species of grass he has that could be used for grass control, like foxtails. Certainly could look at things like pastora and plateau. And one of the biggest cultural things that we'll talk about, Jim, is just getting great grass growth. So making sure that you've got your fertility right, you're not cutting it too low or grazing it too low. Those things can really help you with weed control going forward. Thanks for the question. We'll be right back with more of your questions after this. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year. It's January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-442-4743. That's 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Illinois to start off here. We've got Lonnie with us right now. Lonnie, how's it going? Oh, it's going Okay. I don't know if Janelle told you, but I got I got some off the wall questions. Okay, sounds good. Um, I'm presently remodeling my house, and I looked up what drywall is made out of, and uh, I'm gonna have a lot of pieces of extra drywall pieces that's not worth anything. Um, I was thinking about crunching it all up and like spending it on my garden or wherever that I need pH to come up uh, is that and the only thing only thing would be the paper and that's going to dissolve so I, I didn't know is there something else in that that would cause me issues or is that a good way to get rid of drywall well in theory yes that all sounds good drywall is okay. primarily calcium sulfate which is gypsum so I don't have any big issue with that. I just don't know what got put in there besides that. So I, I, I've been I, I in a number know. of fields, Lonnie, where I've seen guys do that. Yep. I've seen, uh, but what I always see is chunks of paper. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, and I'm uh, like, wait, where'd this paper come from? The first couple times they're like uh, drywall. <laughs> yep, and the paper will take a little bit of nitrogen to break down. Yeah, a little bit, not a not huge, a lot. not a huge not a deal. Lot, but what I'm I, just saying. What I was concerned little. about though, Lonnie, is you said adjusting pH, and I don't really look at gypsum as a product for adjusting pH. Okay. All right. All right. Well, and the other question is, you've talked about uh, clay tile or clay clay and your calcium. You want your calcium up to give it porosity. Yep. What about when you're tiling, uh, let's say you push in, say, a foot of dirt and then spread lime, put some lime over the top of that tile and then fill it on in. Will that 
will that be bad issues there with doing something like that to get it down in there quicker and then just bury it? I don't know if uh, it's going to make a big deal. I don't know if it's going to be worth the money and worth the effort. I, I think, you know, when yeah. just okay. the, the soil moving uh, when you put the tile in, just, just that soil disturbance there is usually enough to make the tilth pretty good above the tile lines. Yeah, and we're not talking about just above the tile lines. We're talking about the whole field. And, you know, with every tile, it's probably pulling water from anywhere from 10 feet away to 50 feet away. So we're talking about having good porosity in all that area. Hey, I was just looking up okay. in, in drywall, by the way, and they say that in some of the fire-rated drywall, it's got some fiberglass in there. So that's not the greatest that, that to be out in your field. So, I'm, I mean, it's no big deal if we're talking about a little bit of drywall one time. I don't think I'd get too worried. Sorry to go back to that question. But there are a lot of other things in there. So they say there are plasticizers, starch, um, let's see, uh, mica crystal that's in there, EDTA or other chelating agents, anti-mildew agents such as boric acid, which doesn't sound bad to me because that'd be a little bit of boron, that'd be fine, wax emulsion uh, or silenes to hinder water absorption, and a little potassium sulfate. So, I mean, most of that is fine, but just a couple of the things in there, it's like, eh, if I'm going to do a little bit of it, okay, but I just want to make that a regular thing. Or put it another way, if I had stuff on a regular basis, I'd spread it out onto lots of acres. Right. All right. Well, I'm just trying to reduce the stuff that goes to the landfill. Yep, I agree. And then one other question, or question about uh, tiling. Um, I, my son and I went to the Farm Progress Show in Illinois there, and we were talking to a tiling guy, and we put a lot of our tile, all these short runs in with a backhoe. Yep. And he he told me that it's not a good idea to put it in with a backhoe because there's a good chance that it may collapse. Yep. And uh, so that's a true statement. And should I reduce the size of my bucket? Would that help? Yes. And then I've also read about a spoon that you can attach to your backhoe, and it kind of makes a trench for the tile to set in. Yes. Yep. So that would help. But we really like plowing the tile in. I mean, those tile plows are so nice and they're so controlled in terms of the depth that you're just more accurate that way. Plus, it's a lot faster, a lot simpler. So that's the direction that I would encourage a person to go. I get it if you've got some really deep stuff or, you know, there's only a tiny little bit you're doing, whatever. You don't want to get a tile plow. But, boy, if you're doing very much right. of it at all, a tile plow to me just makes a whole lot of sense. We can be more accurate, more precise, and do it a lot faster. Well, my only problem is I don't, I don't have enough tractor to pull a, a tile plow is a problem and then trying to get somebody to come in and do these like i say little little yeah. areas it, yeah. it, it's just more economical for us to just jump out there with a the backhoe sure and uh, yeah but, uh, yeah and you can you just have to be real careful because like i say it's very easy to get your grade off at some point with that backhoe so as long as you're doing a good job with that then you you're you're probably going to be okay but yeah the 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 least amount of disturbance you can do there the better off you are you want to try to get that uh get it to sit on a nice uh let's say flat surface not fill or anything else so it's just 
it, it's just a lot harder to do that backhoe thing. We've done a little a little bit of that, but we've done an awful lot of tile plow work, and I just much prefer the plow. I feel more confident that it's going to last for 50 to 100 years. Right. Yeah, I, I got a transit, and we, we check it about every 10 feet, and sure. I also made a gauge that goes down and sits Good. on top of the tile, and Good. it's so many feet long, and yep. and you can put a you can put a a, a a protractor on there, and it'll tell you what your grade is, and we just check it. Sure, you know, yeah. as we're going down, and so yep, just stay diligent with that, and it'll be just fine. Yeah, because what we have done is it's made a huge difference. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. Even my wife. Even my wife just comments every day she, when we get all this rain. She goes, oh, my God, that tile is just doing wonders. She said, we need yep. to do everything. Yep. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> That's exactly uh, the same spot that we've been in over the years. Hey, Lonnie, thanks a lot for calling in today. Best of luck out there. Yep. All right. Thank you. You bet. All right, Brian, we got a question. This one came in from Brett in Iowa, and he said, uh, get some soil tests here. They're in zones. And all this ground is going to corn. We had a ton and a half of turkey manure put on last spring, and it has built our P and K. Our pH still looks low, sulfur and micros low, and need more K. Uh, shooting for some of your goals, 4% base saturation K, 10 to 1 P to zinc, and 30 to 1 P to copper. Just wondering, we need some lime. Would you have a recommendation on a type to, to use? Both ag lime and gypsum are available. Uh, what would you think? Okay, first of all, I was reading in his email he sent, and he said, I know you don't like zones. Look, I don't care if you go zones or grids. All we're talking about is we want you to do small zones or small grids. I care about the size. I don't care about whether it's grid or zone. Okay, so that And the reason why is because we want you to be accurate in the field, especially like in this situation, because you've got a range of a 7 pH all the way down to a 5.1 or actually 7.5 pH to a 5.1. So this is a prime target for me to say, I want one-acre grids or one-acre zones so you don't overlime. Because we've screwed it up on our farm, I just don't want you to screw it up on your farm because it costs a lot of money and hurts your yield bad if you overlime. So anyway, the biggest thing I would say when you're looking for lime is just try to find a fine grade of lime and gypsum is not really going to push that pH up. It's got to be lime. So you could use pelletized lime, you could use ag lime, you could use sugar beet lime, you could use water treatment lime. Don't overdo it. I don't care. Right. Just don't overdo it, like we say. Then in terms of your potassium, yeah, you're really, really low. Um, I'm seeing as low as 1.5% base saturation K. I'll promise you that's absolutely hurting your yield today. So I know potassium is expensive and I don't want to put any more out this year than I have to, but I'm just saying you have to with some of this ground. So it's not, um, it's not, well, there just isn't enough. And I know you've been putting some out, but you got to keep working on that. It's just, it's variable on your phosphorus. So you've got some areas not too bad for phosphorus and some areas that are really, really low. So, you know, variable rates going to work great for you for lime, for phosphorus, for potassium, everything, use variable rate and you'll be in much better shape. Oh, and your copper levels, pretty low too. You got some down to 0.8, got to get that up. That 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 will impact your yield too. All right, thanks for the questions, Brandon. We really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.